Welcome to the Inside Nature podcast. I'm your host, Eric Olson, digital producer for Nature. Today, we're speaking to Alejandro Morales, veterinarian and assistant director of the Arcos Wildlife Rescue Center, located deep in the Guatemalan jungle. Alejandro features heavily in Nature's latest episode, Jungle Animal Hospital, which follows the story of a variety of animal patients, including spider monkeys and scarlet macaws. I spoke to Alejandro by telephone. How's the weather in Guatemala? <laughs> it's extremely hot. Celsius, we have 38, but uh, it's got a real feel of 50. So it's a real feel of 120 Fahrenheit. Wow. So it's, it's hot. It's very, very hot. It's not raining yet. We should be raining by this stage in the year, but apparently global climate change is taking a toll on this side as well. Wow. So for, for people that haven't seen this episode of Nature, could you just tell us a little bit about Arcus and um, how did it come about, how long has it been around, and why does it exist? Arcas, it's a non-profit organization that is in Guatemala. Its main purpose is the rescue and conservation of endangered wildlife that is being smuggled through the illegal pet trade. Our job is to receive all the animals from the illegal pet trade that are confiscated by our government. We receive these animals and we rehabilitate them in an animal-first way. So we do place a lot of in importance and a lot of effort into keeping these animals as wild as possible. Mm. So we don't do a lot of anthropogenic things. Uh, I'll explain this term a little. So we don't humanize them as much. So we don't keep them with us for long periods of time. We try to introduce them to their own species as quickly as possible so that they will grow amongst their own species and not with humans. Because if they grow with humans for far too long, they don't have the capacity of being reintroduced successfully. Um, that is one part of ARCAS. ARCAS is a larger organization than just a rescue center. It started in 1989. And since that time, we are now having the largest rescue center in Guatemala in the northern part. And we have three sites of operation. We have the Arcas Wildlife Rescue Center, which is what is depicted in the documentary, Jungle Animal Hospital. We have a Citro Hatchery, which is the largest in the country. And we have an environmental education program and community development in Guatemala City. Mm -hmm. um, Arcas came to be because Guatemala started officially protecting wild animals and wild places in 1989. Our legislation for national parks is quite young, and that's when ARCAS came into play because the government needed a rescue center. The government needed an NGO counterpart, and that is the, the space that ARCAS fills. I see. Um, ARCAS has grown since those days from being very empirical and being very good-hearted with not that much knowledge. But if, if we go back to those times, there were no cell phones, there was no electricity, there was no internet, there was a lot of things that were very difficult. And nowadays we're growing to being a lot more professional and we are doing as much of a scientific work as we can. Oh. At the moment, Arcas is being recognized as one of the motor rescue centers for Central America, uh -huh. which makes us very proud. And it's something that we have worked for for 26 years, and it's something that comes to close the full circle of what we try to do for the animals because we owe ourselves to the animals, not themselves to us. And so does funding for Arcus, does that come from the 
government or uh, private donations, or how does that work? Um, the funding of the entire organization mainly comes from donations and our in international volunteer program. Um, there's a lot of support that comes from overseas to keep ARCA going. We do have some support from our government, but it's not sufficient to keep everything that we do. So between our research programs, between our community development, and all of the other projects that we do, we maintain the entire structure of the organization. But the majority of our funds do come from private donations and the volunteer and vet student program that we have. The, the Nature episode, Jungle Animal Hospital, um, has you working yes. with just a huge variety of animals. Um, are, are there any animals that Arcus doesn't accept? And also related to that, as a veterinarian, are there challenges to treating so many different animals and some very exotic animals? The way that we work, we if the government confiscates a species, we take it. We do not say no to anything that is confiscated by our government. Um, the tenancy of wild animals in Guatemala is illegal. So everything that is being smuggled into a house or being trying to be smuggled out of the borders is obviously completely illegal. Government stops it and everything comes to us. We do not say no to any species. The only cases where we refrain from receiving animals is when it's a highly domesticated animal that a person has had in their house and they're trying to get rid of it to not have a legal sanction about it. So those animals we don't take because those animals cannot be rehabilitated. The person has to go into government and face the, the law and everything that he has or she has done to have that animal in captivity for such a long time. Um, the diversity of species is vast. Guatemala has thousands of species of animals, and Arcas receives anywhere between 30 and 60 different species, which add up to between 300 and 600 animals a year. As a veterinarian, I've, I've been significantly lucky because I came in when Arcas had a bit of shape already. And Fernando, the director of the center, you see him in the, in the film depicted a lot more with the Scarlet McCalls because that's his ba that's his, that program is his baby, basically. Uh -huh. um, he's been here for 21 years, and I kind of rode on the wave that, of knowledge that he had, and between both of us, we can extend to give better care for all of our patients. So in, um, uh, in Jungle Animal Hospital, there's a... Uh, Patu, I think is how you say the bird. Yeah, um, a northern that, Patu, yes. That that didn't quite make it. Um, when when you have a species come in like that, um, you know that maybe you don't see a lot. Like what? How do you approach treating an animal like that? Because I assume that you you haven't worked on an animal like that before, or or is it just yeah, that birds yeah, when... birds are all kind of similar? So you you sort of you know know where to start. Yeah, um, the, the basic knowledge of avian anatomy and avian physiology is there's a baseline of similitudes about all these species. So there's a lot of things that are very common amongst themselves. And with that baseline, we can approach the animal and we try to help the animal as much as possible. Usually the biggest concern with the diversity of species that come through our doors is what to feed them. That is sometimes a lot of the biggest issues because you go back to the literature and what you find of information is insects, nothing else. It doesn't add up to 
what kind, how many, how often, what kind of nutritional values you're expecting to, for the animal to receive. So we kind of have to play a little with uh, a bit of common sense, a bit of knowledge that we have already with diverse species, and a bit of hopefulness that we're doing the right thing. It's happened, in some cases it has worked very well. We've been able to grow and actually with a fracture as well, one of the smallest woodpeckers that we have, mm. and it works fantastically well. It was just this case with a little baby potu that it, sadly it just didn't work. There was we, we were not there on time to maintain his physiological being with the diet that we had. And, and, and yeah, it's very it's, it's still a sensible subject. It's quite weird. Um, <laughs> it's it's not common that that happens a year afterwards, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could I could I could see from the documentary that you felt a connection to that animal. Um, yeah. So there there was a particular spider monkey named Bruce who was featured heavily in the Jungle Animal Hospital, and he had some trouble integrating with the rest of the group. That's what I took away from it. Um, but he was released anyways, and it was re- later revealed that he didn't survive. Um, could you talk a little bit about that decision to release him? And, you know, in retrospect, do you think that he should have stayed longer at Arcus? Um, this monkey, I, I'm going to refer to him as the Omega monkey, because that was his, his hierarchy position. He wasn't a fully functional spider monkey yet by the time that the filming started. So you see a lot of aberrant behaviors, you see a lot of uh, behaviors that are not the ideal of what we're expecting an animal at that stage to have. So he was spending a lot of time on the floor, which inhabilitated him to have a functional social relationship with everybody else in the group. So our main concern was to take him off the ground. Once the monkey was off the ground, his hierarchy position was not going to change. He was the weakest one of the group, but he has a role to play. That role has to be filled by a certain monkey because that role in nature, what it does is that it forces that one monkey to be a, a bit of an outcast. And the outcasts of different troops in the wild form a new troop by themselves. And that creates a genetic diversity that gives the spider monkey the ability to survive. So his position was needed. He was filling his position in, in an almost fully functional way. He was the one that was left behind taking care of the babies. He was left behind taking care of the weak ones. He was the last one on the food boards. And the dominant males kept company, although not necessarily a, a, an interaction. It's, I like to consider this as the final development in high school for humans. Mm-hmm. So you got the the big dominant alpha boys that are the ones that are the top captains of the teams and everyone, and you do have to have someone that is not up there. He's not who's not picked first, but eventually when they move forward to the wild, which will be college, that one that wasn't picked first may be actually picked first in a whole different scenario. Mm-hmm. That's the best analogy I can come up with. Um. So with this monkey having that opportunity, we took the decision amongst the two biologists that we had, uh, Fernando as the senior veterinarian and myself, to have him released with the group because we have seen this trait of behavior in previous monkeys before. 
we this is not the first troop of spider monkeys that we re, that we release this is the eighth one and in all of them there has been an omega male there yeah. has been a low ranking male the difference was that our previous low ranking males were not on the ground as much but we were able to take the ground off his ethological um, development so he got off the ground almost completely and with that he was fitting the profile of previous monkeys fitting that profile we knew that the chances of him being an outcast and separating from the group in the wild was very high we have seen it before it has happened before mm-hmm. our former omega males have gone and formed wild troops with wild females in the past it has happened and that's why we took the chance of giving him that opportunity of having that chance of being wild, being free, mm-hmm. and having a group of his own. Sadly, it didn't, it didn't develop that way. He didn't make it after a few weeks. He did spend enough days out that we knew that he was eating, that he was staying off the ground, that he was hiding from people. He was not looking for human contact. He was in all the basic knowledge that we have, mm-hmm. capable of surviving by himself. Right. Sadly, something must have happened out of our control, out of his control, and uh, will remain a mystery, and he didn't make it. I'm sure our audience is also curious about the status of some of the other animals introduced in the show. For example, the very young female spider monkey at the beginning of the episode, or the group of scarlet macaws released from the hilltop. Do you have any updates on these animals? Yes. Okay. Um, with the baby spider monkey that was uh, portrayed in the film, uh, by the end of the film, she had a companion. There was a little baby male. And that group, from that moment when the, the, the ep- episode ends up to now, they are fully integrated into a group of eight monkeys, which is fantastic for them, but it's actually very sad if you figure out that in the past eight months, we have received six baby monkeys from illegal pet trade. So um, it's good news and bad news because illegal pet trade is still happening. It's still a reality. And good news, it's being stopped and it's being brought to us. And those animals have a chance of going back by themselves as a wild group of monkeys. So this kind of happens again. And it's going to be another group that we will grow and that we will rehabilitate and that we will give all the tools in order to survive in the wild. So this little girl has a shot, a real shot of being released because she now has a group and she's fully functional with them. They eat um, by themselves. They eat wild um, products, so leaves and wild berries and wild fruits. All of that is being introduced into the diet already and she's learning how to be a real monkey. She's not learning how to be a little human. She's learning how to be a real, real monkey. Um, on the Scarlet McCall's, we know for a fact that we have a 60% survival rate. Out of the ones that had a collar, mm-hmm. uh, we lost two collars. We don't know really what happened. The two of the collars stopped transmitting after about three or four weeks after their release. Mm-hmm. We went out to look for them. We were very close to finding them, sadly, because of the type of technology and the type of environment where we are it's very difficult to find them these little things are 30 grams each so they're about the size of a keychain and we're going into a primary forest a primary tropical forest so it's very difficult to find something that small um so 
we didn't find any feathers, we didn't find any skeletons, we didn't find anything that would suggest that the animal was predated. We just know that the colors stopped moving, mm -hmm. we just don't know why. So we can guarantee that out of the five that we released with a color, three are still happy and moving and alive and well. They're flying fantastically. Um, they have done flights of over 15 kilometers. Um, they have their own core areas of sleeping and foraging and moving around. Out of the four that did not have a radio collar, we don't know what happened. We've been going out searching for them, but they're, you can hear them in the, just in the distance, but they're, they're trained to go away from humans. They don't want human contact. So it's very difficult to see them. Uh, some people of the ones that go out into the forest and look for them have seen glimpses of them, but no one has been able to have a direct line of sight because they're just being wild and they're just being out, out and about by themselves. So best case scenario, out of nine, we've got seven. Worst case scenario, out of nine, we've got six. Great. It's fantastic. So bringing this back to the illegal pet trade, um, it seems as though many of the patients come to you by way of the illegal pet trade. Is there anything that our audience can do to help reduce demand for these animals? Is this, are the animals only resold in Guatemala or Central America? Or do they, do they ever make their way to the United States? It's, this is a very, very broad and complicated question, but I'll try to tackle it shortly. Um, illegal pet trade is not just local, it's international and it's global. The illegal pet trade, it's driven by humans that want to have a pet in their house that is not a domesticated animal. Sadly, a lot of celebrities are involved in this illegal pet trade and they m become a beacon of people should do this and it creates a lot of social demand and that creates a lot of pressure on countries that have this wildlife that are being hurt uh, by the illegal pet trade because the only way that you can get animals into the illegal markets is baby animals usually adult animals don't make it so for a mammal usually they have to kill the mother to get the babies and then sell the babies because babies are cute in the case of the parrots, a uh, fully adult parrot will fly 25 kilometers a day, so they cannot catch adult parrots, they have to catch baby parrots. So it's basically a kidnapping of babies, and that is what the illegal pet trade actually is. So in order for people to be able to contribute into this not happening, it's basically education, basically knowing where the animals are coming from and having a real background information of the species and what are the chances that that species is actually from the wild? It's not just Central American species, it's worldwide. And in the case of what we have, there are no breeding um, facilities in Guatemala that export animals. Mm. So if anyone has the offer of saying this is a Guatemalan animal, from Guatemala being sold as a pet, that's an illegal animal. That animal came in through an illegal black market route. That animal means that a lot of animals died for that animal to finish up in someone's living room, which is completely unfair for the animal. It's completely unfair for everybody else. Most of the animals in the illegal pet trade have a survival rate of 15 to 20%. Wow. That means that in order to get one animal out, 
seven, eight, or nine, depending on the species, will die in transit. So for general population, it's just basically education and awareness about the species, where they come from, what their conservation status is, and how much respect we need to have for those species. We need to have a lot of empathy for life. Mm -hmm. We need to understand that these animals are made to be out in the wild. They're not made to be in a living room. They're not made to be in someone's backyard. These animals are wild, and their wild behaviors will come out. They will try to be dominant. They will try to bite. They will pass on diseases. There's a lot of misinformation about this species, and I can just go back and just say that it's unfair, it's illegal, and it's wrong. All right. Alejandro, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. All right. You're more than welcome. And um, what what do you guys do to cool down in Guatemala? Um, walking to a fridge. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, no, that's, so uh, you just need to take it for a few, this, this happens for a month, month and a half, and we know it's going to happen. Um, just have a cold drink. That's, that's all you can do, and just keep working. If you're very busy with the animals, you, well, you do feel the heat, but it does, it's not as extenuating as it could be, because your mind is elsewhere.